Washington Capitals are the 2018 Stanley Cup champions. It's not a dream. It's not a desert barrage. It's Lord Stanley, and he is coming to Washington. Welcome back to Japers Rink Radio. I'm your host, Greg Young. And uh, today, I have a new guest, I think, to the podcast and uh, someone who I'm really, really excited to get to talk at hockey with. So, uh, Dmitry Filipovich, how are you doing? Good, Greg. Thanks for having me, man. This is going to be uh, this is gonna be fun. All right. Awesome. So, I had like a whole list of things that we were going to do. Then, Alex Ovechkin scored eight goals in three games. So, I yeah. think we don't have any choice but to talk about that first. So, um... I guess I'm just going to go broad, I think, and just start with how insane is this? Like, I mean, the guy is, what, like 34 years old now? And I I can't remember, like, the last time we've ever seen someone who is this age continue to score this way. You know, I think as we talk, I think he's three back of Pasternak for yet another Rocket Richard. And, uh, you know, I think it was a couple of weeks ago, you know, before this insane stretch, you were looking and saying, okay, maybe this is going to be tough. But... You know, I mean, just in general, like, you know, I know you've tweeted about this a little bit. Like, how insane is this Ovechkin run and just how unprecedented is what he's still doing? Oh, it's completely unprecedented. I think maybe we shouldn't be surprised based on his, uh, you know, historical track record or what he's shown us. It seems like you can pretty much take all of your expectations and just throw them out the window and just he's going to keep kind of breaking these barriers in terms of uh, getting up in his age and the, and the volume and the mileage and still producing this way. And so I think what's most impressive for me, honestly, beyond the fact that he's played as many games as he has and he's still producing at this rate is just kind of I think he's reached that ultimate peak level of dominance where everyone knows what he's going to do. He's been around long enough now from that left circle, especially on the power play where every opponent goes into the game. I assume game planning and saying, okay, one thing we can't do against the caps tonight is allow Ovechkin to get cooking from there. And if we kind of slow that down and take that away from them, we like our chances against his caps team. And he still finds a way. A lot of it has to do, obviously, with the personnel he's surrounded with and how they kind of put opposing penalty kills into a bind where there's no real kind of right answer. And it's basically a pick or poison situation. So they can't really afford to just fully shadow him. But I think part of his dominance and that sort of unique nature of it seems like he can keep taking steps back from his ideal spot on the ice and still get enough velocity on it to beat goalies pretty much clean. And, and so I think that's the most impressive thing for me, that other teams know to key in on him, know what he's going to do, and he's still so good that he does it anyways. Yeah, and I mean, I think it's interesting too because, you know, you always think, oh, well, the shot just plays no matter what. But I think the variety of types of shots that he could have in terms of, you know, obviously he's going to be, you know, from the left circle. Like, we know that's the Alex Ovechkin, that's the office at this point. But, you know, I mean, the puck just does so many different things. You know, you, you look at a couple of these goals and, like, they're like almost knuckle pucks at this point. So I think it's almost, you know, to the point now where if you're a goalie, you know, you don't know, you know, you know kind of roughly where he's going to shoot from, but you don't necessarily know, like, the velocity or anything like that. You know, so I would imagine as a goalie, that's just got to be a complete nightmare, you know? Well, and we've seen that from all the best goal scorers in, in today's game. I think the goaltending has gotten so good. I know that now with some of the rule changes and with the uh, 
decreased size of the equipment, it's become a bit easier in, ter- in terms of scoring on goalies. But at the same time, I think for most guys, if you're just if the goalie can square up the shooter and can see the puck cleanly, they're probably going to stop it or at least have a good chance to do so. And so whether it's Austin Matthews or David Pasternak or you know even McKinnon and McDavid with their speed and then Ovechkin, these guys have mastered this ability to get the puck off in really sort of strange, unique angles and maybe throw the timing off of goalies without sacrificing both the accuracy and the actual sort of velocity on the shot itself. And so, yeah, I think that's a really great point where there's been a number of times where I guess it gets jotted down as, um, you know, one timer from the left circle, but he has actually gone about shooting it in a different way from different angles from sort of different speeds and and i think if you're an opposing goalie you're probably sort of preparing for the worst case scenario of this shot coming at you at a thousand miles per hour and then when it is a little bit of that knuckle puck or it gets released a half second sooner than you were expecting to i can imagine it would throw you off a little bit yeah absolutely absolutely um all right well i think at this point i do have to ask the what we're kind of now calling in capital circles the gretzky question um Mm -hmm. which is i think he's what now a little right around 200 goals away or something like that if I'm not mistaken you know yeah I think it's 202 202 yeah yeah yeah. so I I don't know like handicap it like is there a way to handicap it like I you know I mean to me it you know it almost seems like you know if he's willing to maybe have a couple of those like 41 42 year old years where he's willing to like you know maybe grind it down and get like 20 goals or so you know like it seems like it's definitely doable but I don't know do you have like kind of your own handicap ways to kind of think about like whether the shot you think of actually catching Gretzky uh it's tough I I I hope we don't see that sort of description that you were or scenario you're laying out there because I think you know, the best example most recently is probably with Jerome McGinley, right? Where in his prime, he was just this, such a dominating goal scoring force in a different la- landscape and climate for sure. But yeah. it just like, it felt like he was just so overwhelming and so fun to watch. And then when he started moving around and bouncing around from team to team, and then especially towards the end there with like the Avs and then the Kings, it was, it was really depressing where the shot was still there, but he just couldn't get to his areas of the ice. And, you know, I would always joke that he could score 20, 25 goals still, but he'd basically need someone to like wheel him out there to get yeah. towards the puck. And so I hope we don't see that with Ovechkin. I can understand if you get to the point where you're really within striking distance and you're 40, 50 goals away from, from Gretzky. And maybe he's not physically what he wants to be. Like you sort of accept that it's such a cool historical opportunity that you just sort of ride with it and each goal is going to be that special but I'd like to always remember Ovechkin as being even this player that he is now at age 34 or whatever where it's just like he still has that sort of flair and excitement and youthful energy and joy despite all the goals and all the games he's played and so hopefully we don't ever see those latter stage uh, years from him but at the same time you know father time is undefeated and I think even though he is the Russian machine that never breaks eventually um eventually like it's going to come for him as well just a matter of I guess how long he holds on and and I think the the proximity to that Gretzky total will probably keep him coming around maybe longer than he should yeah no no, no, I think I think that's going to be interesting um well speaking of capitals that we now know are going to be around for a long time um Okay, transition. I'm going to give myself a C plus for this. Yeah, that was good. Um, I'll take it. All right. Okay, cool. Nicholas Backstrom. Um, I now, you know, I think that among Capitals fans in general, there is a kind of understated idea that, you know, 9.2 mil, you know, for the next five years after this one's probably 
in the pantheon of maybe a little to a lot of an overpay. You know, I think that you look at 6-7, which is what he think he made before. You know, that was obviously a pretty extreme underpay for the value he was giving. So, I don't know. Like, is there – what is kind of your mentality with this Backstrom contract? Is it so much a, you know, hockey contract as a lifetime depreciation contract? You know, do you think that there's potential that this could actually provide value? Like, kind of what are your general thoughts on Backstrom and his, con- his new deal at this point? <sighs> Well, I'm torn on it because on the one hand, I'm generally really, really against teams um, kind of giving out these contracts to former stars just as kind of like a token of appreciation for all the good memories they shared with them. And especially if the guy was playing on a below market level deal for the years before, it kind of mm-hmm. feels like a, a make right sort of thing. And we've seen teams like the Blackhawks really get into trouble with doing that. Now, at the same time, I, I think... This is a slightly different scenario where Backstrom is still such a net positive player. And I think his game also translates to the point where I think you can project realistically that, you know, maybe as he gets closer to that, like, 35 36 year old range it'll be a bit more of a grind but i think especially for the next couple of years both with his passing and his smarts and and sort of his playmaking on the power play we've seen guys like henrik sedin and uh and joe thornton as like two prime examples of guys who into their early to mid 30s were still able to be so successful i think that's kind of the blueprint here where backstrom might lose a little bit physically but still has enough uh kind of guile and smarts and passing to get by and he won't be worth the 9.2 million but he's been worth so much to the franchise both the connection to ovechkin and also just having been around there for the entirety of his career so i can see the appeal you know, from an on-ice perspective, but also from like a marketing off-ice yeah. perspective and from your fans, the sort of message it sends. So I understand that the NHL is a business. It's, it's not an ideal move, obviously, in terms of trying to win a cup in 2023, for example, when you're going to be paying Nicholas Baxter at that stage of his career. But it is what it is. And I think yeah. you're going to take the good with the bad. So that's yeah. where I'm at with it. No, no, no. I mean, that makes sense. That makes sense. And, I, you know, I think that it's you look at Backstrom, you know, I think I do think the aging thing is definitely something that, you know, I think he's due to maybe age well. Uh, obviously, he doesn't, doesn't have the career points in his career now that Joe Thornton did, but, you know, similar-ish kind of game. And then, you know, I think the other thing, too, that, I you know, Capital Sands, me, perspe- me specifically, I think are also thinking at this point is, you know, you look at the Capitals' window, and there's no way they could let Nicholas Backstrom walk, given I think that their window is to win really within, like, the next couple of years, right? You know, because they have o- Oshi He's getting older, Ovechkin's getting older, Carlson, although we'll get to him later, you know, is also like, you know, at 30 at this point, you know, so I think you look at kind of the makeup of their roster, you know, I think it's defensible in one sense to say, look, our window is right now, you know, yeah, this Backstrom contract's going to be a bit of an overpay, but you know, at the same time, like, you know, we just cannot afford to lose him next year. So, uh, you know, that's that's kind of at least where we are. One player, though, that it seems like Capitals players are, Capitals fans are kind of gearing up to lose this offseason at free agency is uh, Braden Holpe. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I think right now for Capitals fans, the big question is, you know, is Holpe even going to be the starter for the rest of the year to say nothing about whether he's going to walk or not? So, I don't know, like, how familiar, you know, are you, would you say at this point, like, you know, the Capitals are handling this goalie situation as you would have expected them to, you know, like, where are you kind of at with the Capitals goaltending right now? Yeah, I think it always made sense for them to view this season as kind of, you know, I, I think clearly they weren't going into it expecting that necessarily Holby would look this 
bad or this pedestrian, but also that uh, Ilya Samsonov would be like this ready to go as the number one. I, yeah. I viewed it from the perspective of you kind of view this as a bit of a bridge year where you can afford, especially with the current landscape of the league, to kind of divvy up the starts almost 50-50 and try to both extend Samsonov to get him ready for next season as the full number one, but also to keep Holtby fresh considering the success we saw him have a couple of years ago when he made it all the way to the cup finals and won the cup for the Capitals getting all that rest mid-season with Philip Grubauer taking over. And so I think that blueprint made a ton of sense. Now, it is getting complicated by the fact that I think it's getting pretty clear that Samsonov is the superior option. And so I wonder in terms of like the politics of Holtby's stature and what he's meant to the franchise versus a rookie, how that's going to dictate the decision-making within the room and with the fan base down the stretch. So I'm not sure how that's going to play out, but I think it's pretty clear that Samsonov has outplayed him and certainly at least for the time being earned a longer leash in terms of seeing how many games he can handle and how he can perform under a larger sample. Yeah. You know, and I think, I think it's going to be interesting because if you look at, you know, the year that the Capitals won, you know, every capital fan will tell you, you know, it was actually Philip Grubauer that started that playoffs to the Capitals, you know, and then yep. after he struggled a couple of games, you know, and there's no really no time to argue small sample size in the NHL playoffs, really, you know, they had to kind of pull him and make the move. And that obviously kind of worked out long terms so you know I think it's at this point you know kind of with the way the NHL is trending you know having two goalies who are at least you know competent to the point where you would trust them you know playing you know important games is something that you know really seems to put the Capitals in an envious position you know yeah when you look at the current you know situation just in terms of like let's use goals saved above um replacement or above average as a metric like the worst goalies in the league this year have been martin jones sergey bobrovsky Corey schneider jonathan quick and Braden holtby and it's like if that's not a telling sign of you know the risks of kind of hitching your wagon to a goalie in their early 30s with a long-term deal then i don't know what is and so i think you know, aside from potentially him turning this around and having a heroic playoff run yet again, I think this, the decision moving forward is going to kind of be made a lot easier for the yes. Capitals just based <laughs> on the way this regular season's played out. Yeah, I mean, it kind of kind of makes it makes it work out for them. Do you do you think Hopi will get paid this off season? You know, I mean, like I. I, you know, I, 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 I continue to think there's got to be, you know, at least one team out there that's going to say, hey, proven Stanley Cup winner, yada, yada, you know, let's give him seven million a year or whatever, you know, until he's like 38 or whatever. But like, do you, do you think there's still a team out there that's going to pay him, you know, uh, or do you think that if he's actually going to run into maybe a bit of a pessimistic market this offseason? No, I think a hundred percent. It all it takes is one team, and yeah. I think um, you know, despite even even Jim with Benning the struggles, still has and, a job, right? So. <laughs> absolutely, and you know, you know, his goalie is coming up on the market too. So who yeah. knows? Maybe he could uh, he could view it as a little bit of a switch. But no, I think you know, with Holtby. Um, this isn't the thing that scares me off is this isn't just a one year thing. I think this is sort yeah. of his nadir, but it's been, there's been red flags for a couple of years now, but I think still just with the pedigree, with the playoff success, the fact that he's won a Stanley cup as the yes. starter, like <laughs> it's pretty clear. There's going to be a team out there that talks themselves into it. I'm not sure if he's going to get the type of term, let's say that Bobrovsky got this past summer or, or even the $10 million cap hit. But I think, his next contract is going to be so cumbersome that we're all going to kind of laugh at it on online. And I think it's going to be so cumbersome that even if the capitals wanted to keep him around, it'll be a lot easier for them to like emotionally detach themselves just because they like, financially would not be able to make it work even if they wanted to yeah exactly you know and it's one of those things where they're gonna i think need that kind of extra cap space to pay someone else that i will ask you a question about later um but i the one thing i know that 
Capital Sands, we're we're all kind of, you know, at the point now with the Capitals and analytics, I think, are is kind of an argument that I've almost been, like, beaten down to death a little bit over, you know, like, it seems like, you know, there is maybe evidence that the Capitals can outperform some of their shot share metrics, you know, although, you know, I think really what they've done over the last, like, six to seven years, you know, has kind of been a little ridiculous in terms of, you know, consistently lying this really high shooting percentage. Now, would you say that this is, you know, what the Capitals kind of do is something that, do the do the analytics me, uh, models really measure the Capitals super well in your opinion, or is there something that the Capitals are maybe doing and other teams maybe do that that is possible something like an expected goals model might miss once in a while? Yeah, that's a complicated question. I think it's definitely new, more nuanced. Um, yes. you know, especially last year, I thought that after they acquired Carl Hagelin around the deadline, um, you know, you could see the uptick in five on five performance where yep. they actually enter the postseason as one of the better, more dominant teams. And it kind of bucked that trend, whereas in the past, especially under Barry Trotz, who has historically been a coach that, you know, his actual goals for his team always, now even with the Islanders, exceed the expected goals and kind of break those models because of how good they are in terms of suppressing chances around their own net and also Mm -hmm. the emphasis on going for high danger looks as opposed to just firing the puck from, you know, around the point and, and from low danger areas. And so I think... When you have the type of personnel that the Capitals do, especially with the power play, but even with guys like Ovechkin and Kuznetsov and now Vrana becoming an elite goal scorer, it's 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 never going to be sort of it's always apples and oranges comparing it to other teams where clearly there's a talent gap there and they're going to be able to exceed those theoretical measures just because of both the looks they're targeting and also the players actually shooting the puck themselves. And so as long as they're kind of keeping their head above water from a shot share perspective, that's all I'm really looking for. If it starts dipping into the, you know, the mid forties or the 47, 48%, Mm. that would be a red flag. But as long as, as long as they're, in that low fifties range and are amongst the top 10 teams in the league. That's all I really need to see from them knowing that the yeah. talent they actually have is going to score a lot of goals. So, so just avoid, avoid Winnipeg jets and uh, red wings territory, basically in terms of basically, shots, yeah. cause we've yet to, we've yet to see really, I mean, it gets funny earlier in the year when the Winnipeg jets were winning games because Connor Halibuck was sort of standing on his head. Paul Maurice came out and had this quote with the media about how their internal metrics showed that they were actually a better possession team than the stuff we have uh, would indicate. And and we've heard that story and we've seen how it plays out and the Jets are no different as it turns out and in the, from the perspective of as soon as the goaltending dries up a yeah. bit they come cra- crashing back down to earth and so teams always want to make this big notion of oh you know publicly you don't have access to the stuff we have privately and and there's certainly an argument to be made there and like on the margins but I think in the grand scheme of things we do a pretty good job of measuring like which teams are actually good and which ones are kind of full of it yeah absolutely absolutely well speaking of a player that you know I think there's a bit maybe of a divide. Uh, I don't even want to say divide because you look at like things like, you know, his like, uh, you know, goal, like his war and everything like that. Like John Carlson, you know, it seems like from a points perspective, he's nuts and he's going to probably win the Norris this year. Right. You know, and then you look at, you know, there's been some arguments for, you know, pre-injury, like was Dougie Hamilton one of the, was actually a little more valuable. I know that Dom had talked about that a little bit, you know, so where are you on John Carlson? You know, cause you look at kind of his metrics and, you know, the individual value he provides offensively is astronomical, but at the same time, you know, he wouldn't, you wouldn't exactly say he's like a pure shutdown defender in any set, any stretch of the word. So kind of where are you on John Carlson? You know, are you going to be 
are you fully aboard the, you know, he needs to win the Norris this year, or are you maybe a little more mixed? I'm a little more mixed. Just like, I, I, I definitely don't, um, take issue with it like i'm not going to be upset about it and be up in arms if at the end of the year he's leading all defensemen in scoring and he winds up winning the norris i think uh you know sometimes we we get take too much issue with it and we get bogged down in these silly arguments but i think like he's right there in that class hamilton certainly would have been in there before he got hurt i think you know alex petrangelo and roman yossi are both also having special seasons and i think it's like those three guys are kind of asserting themselves head and shoulders above everyone else and you can take a personal pick from it i think Sure. for whatever reason it seems like carlson is such a polarizing player where you can't really have like a rational fair discussion about him because there's going to be uh caps fans that just you know cite the points and think you're hating on him and then there's pl- people who are going to kind of to compensate for it, go completely the other way and and bash him and make it seem like he's actually not uh, a net positive player and it's all just empty calorie scoring and i think the truth is certainly somewhere in the middle there and i've come around on him much more um beyond the scoring just in terms of his actual effect on the game over the past couple of years and so he's having a special season and and i imagine that if it keeps going this way and he's well over a point a game and he's leading all defensemen in scoring he's probably going to be celebrated for it with the north this, this yeah, uh, summer absolutely absolutely all right well Dive uh, 20 minutes in, uh, we're going to switch to, we're going to zoom out a little bit, talk about the Metro, which is uh, kind of secretly low-key has a bunch of really interesting things going on. Um, I actually, to, you know, g- peer behind the curtain a little bit, I actually live in Columbus right now, and so there's no way we're not going to talk about the Columbus Blue Jackets, and I know that you just had, uh, you were just talking about Columbus recently on your podcast, so, you know, I, the question I seems to be having is, you know, the way they really develop and build and play, you know, seems to kind of help their goalies, you know, maybe do look a little bit better. But at the same time, you know, you look at it recently, a player like, you know, Elvis Merzlikens, I think is how you pronounce it. Mm-hmm. I could be, I could be wrong. Um, You know, it's like kind of carrying them, you know, a little bit lately. You look at that five, nothing game against the devils, you know, where I think he was like just playing out of his mind. So where are you on Columbus? Is this a playoff team? Like, or, or is there something that, you know, maybe you just don't need anyone scoring in the top, you know, scoring any points at all. Like, cause I don't, I don't think they have anyone in the top 75, per, you know, players and points. So is this some, is this a formula that Columbus could maybe ride to a wild card spot? Yeah, I think their current leader is Pierre-Luc Dubois, who's on pace yes. for like 24 goals and 57 <laughs> points or something like that, which is crazy because there's like 10 players in the league already that have way more than that for yeah. the at this point in time. Um, <laughs> Listen, like they have a they have a, a recipe here, and it's a very reminiscent, I think, of both like the Islanders last year and also, um, you know, the Coyotes or maybe even the Stars, where if you look at it just purely from a sort of five on five underlying numbers perspective, they basically get better with each metric as you start going. You go from like Corsi, which are just all shot attempts, and they kind of look middle of the pack, and then you look at. Um, all, all the shot attempts factoring in block ones and it's like oh they're a little bit better then what actually gets on net and it's like oh they look pretty good then you go on high danger looks and it's like oh they're really good yeah. and so they clearly have a system there they've really bought in with this sort of next man up mentality where they have a ton of depth and they don't have that sort of star scoring line but they just basically have four lines that can all play and they can skate and they have a relentless four check and so it's not necessarily like the most aesthetically pleasing especially during a time where scoring rates are through the through the roof around the league but i do think their formula is is pretty legit in terms of you know 
their goalies are sort of these unheralded names that people aren't familiar with, but the defense in front of them is making lives for them so much easier that they can keep getting by like this. And so my only issue with it really is just that the Metro division is so loaded this year that they could conceivably finish, let's say, sixth and miss out but still be like yeah. the number one team if they were in the Pacific division, for example. And just, <laughs> so it's just so um, obscenely lopsided at the moment that I think that's the biggest thing going against them. Cause otherwise I think all things being equal in a better system where points are divvied up fairly and you just took the best 16 teams. I think they'd be in there. Yeah. Well, okay. So we're going to talk about a different team here a little bit that I think is also kind of maybe divisive, although I'm tired of debating the Carolina Hurricanes and analytics debate. You know, I mean, it's interesting because, you know, this is a team that you look at them play, just not even looking at analytics, just look at them play and you're like, wow, this team is fast and they can score and all of this. But, you know, they're st- they're still sitting only one point in the wildcard spot right now. So, you know, is this one of those where, you know, at the end of the year, we're going to look and we're going to, okay, they're probably going to be in the second or third spot. Or is this, is there something here that we're just missing about this team that, you know, maybe is hurting them a little? I think the loss of Dougie Hamilton is going to be felt a lot. I think he yeah. was, uh, you know, one of the two or three most impactful defensemen this season. And that's certainly going to hurt. But, you know, if any team can kind of compensate for that with the depth, especially on their blue line, it's it's probably them. And yeah. Uh, it's been it's been a, it's a tough season where their goaltending's been a bit up and down. I think that's to be expected when your goalies are James Reimer and Petr Mrazek. Uh, you're right; those percentages that have been kind of fickle for them over the past couple of years have once again cropped up. But I think if you still look at all the predictive measures for them, there's still that you know, fast paced, relentless team that they were last year. And if they get a couple more bounces here or there, they're going to be rising up the standings. And so for them, I think it's a similar story to Columbus. I just said they're, they profile as a different team, but it's, they're good. The thing they do well, they do really well. And it's just going to be a matter of how the Metro division around them shakes out because it is going to be such a dogfight. Yeah, absolutely. And then, um, I, we're going to, I'm going to ask you about Pittsburgh and then we'll take a quick break here. Um, so how the heck is, I mean, Pittsburgh is basically, I think it's, Every single one of their like major core players has been injured at some point. And you know, you still look at it and not only are they, you know, getting bounces, they're rocking, I think it's like a fifty-five percent. Uh, I think they're your top expected goals team right now in all of hockey, despite the fact that they are giving Jack Johnson minutes. So, like, you know, is this one of those where Marino is just one of those players that you're just like, wow, he's like way better than we all thought? Is there something they're doing differently? Like, kind of what is going on with Pittsburgh right now? Yeah, no, they've had a, a crazy season from the perspective of pretty much everyone with a pulse for them has missed an extended period of time, yeah. and they've just kind of kept going anyways. I guess when you have at least one of Crosby or Malkin there, they can kind of make everything else work around it. But they've done a great job of, over the years, not just this season, kind of finding these guys through college ranks, kind of bringing them into their system, having them produce for a couple of years in the AHL and then calling them up. And, you know, Brian Russ, for example, is the most recent recent guy to do that, where he goes from being this kind of unheralded 15-ish to 20-goal scorer, and now all of a sudden he's playing with Evgeny Malkin full-time, and he's going to, you know, he's on pace to score like 35, 40 goals or whatever. And so they've gotten a lot of guys uh, producing that we weren't expecting them to. They have a lot of depth. And now as they get healthier, I think they're, 
they're legitimately going to be one of kind of the most potent teams in the league. And so, yeah, I mean, they're going to be really fun to watch now with Crosby back and Crosby and Malkin both firing on all cylinders. I'd I'd be pretty worried about them if I was another team in the Metro. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Well, with that, we're going to take a quick break. On the other side, we're going to keep zooming out a little bit. I'm going to talk about Tampa. We're going to talk about the mess out West. And uh, we're going to talk about a couple of other interesting things uh, that I'm going to throw upon Dimitri. So uh, stay tuned. Welcome back to Japers Rink Radio. Still here with Dimitri. And um, so I want to talk, Dimitri, about the mess out West. Um, We look at, you know, particularly the Pacific Division. You know, you have five teams, you know, within one point of each other. And, you know, I, I think you look at it, you know, kind of for me as a bit of an outsider and I'm struggling to see which of these teams is actually going to win this division. You know, I, I picked Vegas to win at the start of the year, you know, and they're, I think, one of what, two or, two or three of those teams that have already had a coaching change. So mm-hmm. who do you expect to kind of, you know, emerge from the morass? And uh, I'll even ask you a broader question. Just who who out in the West is any good? Yeah, it's wide open there right now. I think, you know, if you just take the full West, I think the Avs would certainly be right up there in terms of the top teams. And, and I like them quite a bit. Uh, but if we're just focusing in on on the Pacific Division, it's a complete free-for-all right now. I mean, they've got five teams between 57 and 58 points. And so it was really funny on Saturday night where the, the Canucks were playing the Sharks in, in the last game of the evening. And they started that game as the fifth seed in the Pacific. And after they won it, they jumped up all the way to first. And so I think it's going to be a lot more of that the rest of the way where we're going to see a lot of jockeying for position. I still think, despite the fact that they changed their coach and they've been really underwhelming through throughout in terms of the results that the golden knights as you mentioned earlier are still the the top team there i think from top to bottom they've got the most depth they've got those two dominant forward lines i know their defense doesn't necessarily have any star names they're going to be in the norris discussion this year but they have a lot of guys there who can move the puck and can skate well and so I ultimately think the Vegas, assuming that Marc-Andre Fleury can hold up and they can get at least like league average to slightly above league average goaltending, is eventually going to rise to the cream of the crop there. And then beyond that, it's it, it's wide open. You know, you don't want to bet against Edmonton just because McDavid and Dreisaitl are that good, but they clearly have their own flaws as well. And with the Canucks and Flames, they've had such sort of yo-yo seasons where at their very worst, they've looked like basically the New Jersey Devils, yeah. whereas when they're at their best, they look like they could win that division. And so I think it's ultimately going to be kind of just put those teams' names in a hat and pick them out at this point because it's, it's it's too close to, uh, to kind of differentiate, at least at this point in time. Cool. All right. Well, kind of getting away from the standings a little bit. Um, so one of the things that, you know, for, uh, as Capital fans, we've been talking a little bit is, you know, the Capitals may be kind of embracing a little bit of a tiny bit of load management, you know, with Alex Ovechkin saying he's going to miss the all-star game and happily take the one game suspension to, I think, give himself a longer vacation. So I, I, at least for me, it seems like in the NHL, we've gotten much more adept at saying we need to load manage among goaltending, you know, and it's one Mm -hmm. where, you know, I think the model at this point is, you know, very Bruins-esque, you know, it's good to have two really strong goaltenders. So, you know, Do you see maybe load management taking a bigger role in the NHL, not just in terms of goaltenders, but in terms of teams, you know, maybe resting older players or thinking about how their kind of usage is going to work? Do you you see that as a path forward for NHL teams to really maybe kind of optimize a little bit better and how they're using and kind of adjusting their lineup? 
I mean, it certainly should be. I think 82 games is is way too much, especially as you start getting into your 30s and and you start dealing with a growing list of injuries. And if you have actual legitimate playoff aspirations to be playing deep into April, May, and even June. And so I think that's certainly going to be something that the NHL is going to be adopting more as we've seen in other leagues already. But I think the pushback there is going to be it just kind of goes against this, whether it's right or wrong, this NHL sort of motto of like kind of this like bravado and, and this macho nature of guys playing through injuries and playing hurt and still showing up and lacing them up and, and playing every single night and, and giving it their all. And so uh, we'll see. I can, I can see the pros and cons of it. Like if I was running a team i would absolutely be doing it at the same time i get it for fans if you know you can only afford to go watch your team once or twice a year and you let's say you're a capitals fan and you don't always get to go watch ovechkin but you want to catch him now while he's still around and it turns out that's the night where the capitals are resting and want a second of a back-to-back i think that would certainly suck if you'd paid your hard-earned dollars to to get out to the rink and see him and so i get why like fans want to see the players as much as possible but at the same time i think from a player sort of performance optimization perspective it's clear that these guys shouldn't be playing 82 games and we should be getting into like the low 70s instead yeah absolutely absolutely um okay two more questions and then we're gonna let you go um so i'll give you right now it with uh 400 minutes played your top five goalies the first is jake allen uh mm-hmm. Rask, you'd expect anton hudobin you wouldn't Samsonov and Tristan Jari. And the key common theme of that is that these are not guys who, uh, Tukaras may be accept, obviously accepted, uh, are guys you would say, wow, you know, these are like some of the top goaltending in the league. So I guess, you know, with maybe younger, you know, less proven goaltending, you know, kind of, you know, really taking a rise and, you know, some maybe be the older, you know, higher played goaltender struggling a little. How should teams really look at goaltending, you know, when it comes to building a roster? Is it something that, you know, is it worth just kind of throwing up in coin flips? Is it worth having a plan for it? Like kind of what is like your thought in terms of how to build a roster, you know, goaltending focus, particularly given the kind of volatility that exists within that position? Yeah, I think if you look at the most successful teams over the past year and a half or so, it'd be like the Bruins, um, you know, the Islanders, the Coyotes, the Stars in terms of basically having two goalies that you can comfortably play. And it doesn't have to be the type of scenario where you're resting your starter on a second of a back to back exclusively. And that's the only time he's sitting out. It's it could be, you know, at any point in time you play either guy and they give you an equal opportunity to win and, and you're not investing heavy resources in either guy. And I think that's going to be the future where you're going to see a lot more teams sort of devoting modest resources to two goalies instead, where it's a 1A, 1B approach, and both guys are starting roughly 40 games. And you're going to get the most out of them because they're going to be fresh, they're going to be rested, they're going to stay healthy. And I think the days are going to be gone. I know, you know, this kind of goes against what we were just saying with Holtby's future contract and with what Bobrovsky made this past summer. But I think for the most part, teams are wising up to the idea that it's kind of silly to be investing heavy future resources into just one goalie when their performance hinges so much on everything around them. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. I'm going to conclude with a question that we talked briefly about before we started recording, and it's something I'm excited to ask you about. So I know that, you know, in past podcasts, you've talked a little bit about, you know, what your idea of a perfect NHL broadcast is. And I'm someone, I know that you've watched quite a bit of hockey and also excitedly from my perspective, you've watched a lot of different broadcasts. So 
how do you, you know, is there a kind of formula you really enjoy in terms of balancing kind of stats, analysis, and just overall enjoyment? Like, what does your perfect NHL broadcast look like at this point? I mean, it's a very subjective question. I can totally understand yes. where two people might be equally right and have very different ideas of what they would prefer. I think for me, um, you know, there's a couple of things that are baked into it. One, I think the you got to get have the feel where the color commentator and the play-by-play uh, announcer have such a good rapport going where it feel they make you feel like you're kind of just hanging out and you're one of their friends and and they're just kind of talking about the game and you're there sitting with them and and you're just having a fun night out with them and so i think that certainly goes into it at the same time i think it can't just solely rest on that i think the we're in a good place right now in the league where I think there's a lot of good play-by-play announcers just purely from a technical perspective, calling the game, relaying the information of what's happening out there. I think there is a bit of a shortage in terms of high caliber color commentators where you need to be able to, at least for me as kind of a, you know, a more geeky fan who is looking for a bit more X's and O's and a bit more actual analysis, you need to be able to, be quick on the trigger in terms of calling what happened. And basically after a play happens, let's say there's a puck stoppage on the next replay. I need you to be able to fully relay what just happened. Maybe if there was a defensive breakdown, why a certain play was successful and kind of show fans from an X's and O's perspective, highlighting uh, individual sequences and sort of telling us why they're important. And so I think those are, the two most important things for me. Um, but beyond that, um, you know, as long as it's kind of free flowing, as long as it's not, you know, too homerific, I know that, uh, local broadcasts are always going to favor their, you know, their local team. And I completely get that. And they're affiliated with them. But as long as you can sort of appreciate that the other team also has good players and that not every single penalty should go against them. And <laughs> that it's, you know, if, if it's, if there's not just a massive league wide conspiracy against. Your yeah. Team. <laughs> yeah. You know, some of these broadcasts, you'd, you'd think that the team that, uh, they're the local, local announcers for have never committed a penalty and then actually are undefeated and have never given up a goal <laughs> against based on how good they make them sound. And yeah. so I think as long as, there is kind of a bit of objectivity to it where it's warranted i'm looking for that as well and so i think you know those are some of the main uh sticking points for me that i really need to hear from from my favorite broadcasts awesome 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 well this was great uh dimitri uh plug some stuff where can people find your work and uh everything like that yeah i think if uh just follow me on twitter at dim filipovich i tweet out all the links that i do um you know my podcast the hockey pdo cast is um available wherever you get your podcasts and um i write a weekly article on espn where we kind of dive deeper into the numbers a little bit and i think uh you know most people sort of raise their eyebrows and think that espn doesn't actually cover hockey but i can assure you that at least digitally uh we've built up quite a good team of, of writers and analysts and so we're doing a good job over there so check that out as well and and yeah i think um you know, the easiest way to do it is just follow me on Twitter and just follow along with my work that way. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. All right, well, uh, Dimitri, this has been a blast. Uh, real quick uh, for the listeners, uh, you, know, you can find our podcast, Japers Rink Radio, wherever you get podcasts similar to Dimitri. Uh, you can follow me at GregY underscore JR. Please rate, write, subscribe, review, and everything like that. So, uh, Dimitri, this has been a blast. Thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. Anytime. Thanks.